Jack. You're listening to Ad Yak. Ad Yak is the official podcast of the AAF Greater Lehigh Valley Ad Club. Our mission is to inspire creativity and enhance the professional development of the advertising and marketing communities where we live and work. I'm your host, Bill Childs, and I'll talk with artists, designers, writers, directors, photographers, along with those who work in a creative capacity. Our aim here is to serve as a creative resource to help you stay informed, entertained, and above all, inspired. But first, I want to thank ASR Media. We appreciate your support and collaboration. I have been extremely fortunate during my career that many great people came into my life at the right time to guide and nurture me to the next level of my creative journey. Today on the podcast, I get to talk to one of the mentors who helped me discover my passion for great creative, John Hayes. John was the GM of Adams Outdoor Advertising when I met him for the first time. The year was 1999, and I was ready for a new challenge. Shortly after that meeting, he offered me an art director position, and I eagerly accepted. Back then, John was restructuring Adams to go all in by using the power of creativity and great design to reimagine Adams Outdoor Advertising as a branding tool, not merely a company that sells ad space on the side of the road. I still remember the day he shared his new vision for the company. And while I didn't know it at the time, I was about to experience a paradigm shift in how I would view advertising, design, and creativity for the rest of my life. John and I talked about the genesis of that idea and how everything started to fall into place once he found the right mix of talented people he believed could help deliver the results he was hoping for. We also talk about his creative leadership, the importance of good messaging, and what it means to be a servant leader. John also shares his approach to helping clients see the big picture by getting them to understand why not taking a risk is actually the biggest risk of all. Even though I only worked at Adams for two years under John's leadership, his lessons and guidance have stayed with me throughout my career. These days, John is enjoying his retirement after a long career in sales, marketing, and advertising. I'm grateful I met John when I did. Our lives intersected at a point where we both needed each other's unique talents. Like any great outdoor advertising campaign, John's lessons were simple to comprehend and his messages had a lasting impact. Here is my ad yak with John Hayes. All right, here we are. John Hayes, welcome to Ad Yak. Good to be with you. How are you? How are you doing? I'm doing well, thank you. And you? I'm doing great. I got to tell you, ever since I came back to the, to the ad club, um, and asked them if I could relaunch Adyak season two. Um, you are someone that has been on my mind ever since because you played uh, a huge role in in the two years that I worked for you in my career. Um, and we're going to get into that because I, I think a lot of what we did and what you did originally there when I went to work for you at Adams as your art director, one of your art directors, a um, lot of great stuff. And I think people need to hear it. And I'm glad you're here. So let's get into it. All right. So in 1999, I was working at the morning call and I met you. I think you were just getting ready to kind of start a new approach at Adams Outdoor Advertising where you were going to put creativity on a pedestal. You were going to push all your chips into the center of the table and say, we are going to... Um, put design first, 
We're going to be a design focused company. We're going to and and we're going to take our sales reps. We're going to teach them how to sell creatively. We're going to teach them what good design is. And then the other thing you did, which I'm still kind of blown away by, even though it's been a couple of years since uh, this all went down, um, you gave the power to what went on the road, final approval to the two art directors that worked upstairs. That was Bill Hickey and myself. And we had final say. That was unheard of at the time, because I think as a sales organization, you know, it's all about driving sales. And obviously that was one of your focuses. But so talk to me about what was the genesis behind you deciding we're going all in on creativity. When you are managing a business, as I was, the uh, there's usually a crisis du jour and on days when you don't have a crisis, you have some time to think. And when I was thinking, I was, I was thinking about what are the problems that I am having that are less acute and more chronic. And they were problems that many businesses have. Um, how do you recruit good quality people? How do you retain good quality people? Uh, how do you, how can you get the community to embrace billboard advertising? At the time, billboards were somewhat seen as, I think, a necessary evil. Yeah. And I really wanted people to embrace outdoor advertising as a medium rather than put up with it. <laughs> so when I was thinking about those things, um, it occurred to me at some point that you would, we would be able, I think we had just lost somebody that was a very good employee, and I was sitting wondering why and what could have been done. And I was thinking when that guy, this was an operations guy, when he goes out to a bar and people say, you know, friends say, what do you do? And he says, I put up billboards. If they were saying to him, wow, that's really neat. Did you put up the one for Dunkin' Donuts? Mm -hmm. If they had that kind of a reaction, he probably would still be with us and not have left the company because he would be getting more. He would have been less uh, susceptible to being recruited away by another company for maybe a few more dollars. Um, and then, as I thought more about it, all of the problems that we face were problems that great creative and um, universally great creative would solve those problems. So then it became a matter of how do we get there? Right. right. Having you and Bill to work with, I began to have the core that I needed to be able to put uh, put creative in the proper perspective for that business. Well, I think there's a difference, you know, between kind of knowing the path and walking the path. And you certainly were ready to walk the path and and did. I mean, you kind of like you you had a 10 point plan. It was a real simple kind of thing. It, it It just went down 10 things of what you felt by doing this, what would happen as a company? And I remember one of those things was um, the market would look better. That was one of the bullet points, right? 
Um, right. You felt that the clients that were kind of currently doing outdoor would get better results from better designs. That was another bullet point. Um, I think like down near the bottom, which I always thought was great and I really loved, like number nine or number 10 was, oh, and we'll increase revenue. That was all, that was, that stuck to me. That stuck out to me because, you know, it was more, I think at that point with that list about making sure that we were going to adhere to those things. And if we did all those things, the outcome would be more revenue. And we did yeah. improve our revenue year over year for the two years that I was there. I know that um, the market did look better. People who, businesses who had never done outdoor wanted in on the game. I remember that was one thing that you had said as well. You said, this. I want this market so tuned up with, with good design that businesses that never did outdoor were like, wait, we need to get in on this. And my God, did all, like all 10 things happen. You said the bill posters would enjoy their work more to the point of you saying like, you know, someone would feel proud to be working at Adams because now they weren't seen as signs on the road. They were seen as more experiential. I mean, everything happened. I mean, it didn't happen overnight. It took about six months, but my God, like what, what gave you the courage to, to kind of do that, to, to, to roll that, the roll the dice with, with that approach? Well, the, um, I had been thinking about this for quite a while uh, through the 90s, observing and, and just wondering what could be done to really differentiate that market from other outdoor markets uh, and make it not only more profitable, but make have award-winning designs on the road for people to enjoy as they're driving, as they're doing their commutes. The whole point of it was, I had been thinking about it for a while, but I didn't have the right team of creative people for part of that time. And then Bill, uh, Bill Hickey joined, uh, and a little while after you came on board and suddenly we had the people in place to do what needed to be done in terms of training the salespeople, and what needed to be done in terms of doing great creative and then uh, not allowing it to be bastardized. Right, right. I remember that. I remember asking you, you said, you know, Bill, I, I really, I want a weekly creative session. And I said, oh, okay, um, what, what's that? I didn't know. I didn't know what a creative session was. You said, well, and I love this answer. You said, that's for you to figure out. So right there, you told me you trusted me and you gave me ownership, okay? Uh -huh. All you said, well, you didn't give me a binder and say, here's everything I want you to teach and, you know, give me this like, you know, big thick binder with four, 42 tabs on it. You said, this is what I want the outcome to be of the sessions. I want the sales team, when they're in front of a client, to be able to speak intelligently about what is good design and specifically what is good billboard design and i was like hmm well, i could do that and you were like i know you can weekly creative session don't i remember you were like don't be don't be skipping weeks which also was kind of interesting to me because you know again we had we had posting periods where we would get busy and we get jammed up and you you made it a point you even said to the sales team don't schedule appointments on tuesday mornings 
from 8.30 to 10. You are to be in these creative sessions. They matter. Um, and I just I just thought that was, I, I always remembered that answer about you saying to me that, that was it was for me to figure out. If I hadn't given you that latitude, then all that would have come of the creative sessions is what I already knew how to do. And I had already tried to do some of that with it beforehand. I needed somebody to take a fresh look at them and say, how can we make these better? How can we elevate the conversations that the salespeople are having to a higher level about creative? And uh, giving you that the uh, latitude to figure out how to do that, um, I, I really had no other way of doing it. I couldn't tell you how to do it because if I had, it would have it would have minimized the impact you could have. Um, I know having making that an important part of each salesperson's week and having them place a priority on it was integral to getting to where we wanted to be because if they don't think the creative session is important, they won't think great creative is important and they won't invest the time to learn how to sell it and how to communicate about it. It all had to be done and it had to be the top priority for them. I had people come to me, salespeople come to me and say, I've got an appointment to close this piece of business at 9.30 on Tuesday. And my answer was, change it. If I had said, okay, you're excused, then I have suddenly said creative is not the most important thing. 100%. Yep, I agree. Yep. The most important thing is get the business. And that wasn't where my head was at. Or your head, for that matter. No, no. And you gave me the latitude and the and the kind of the 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 approval or the or the permission to kind of to kind of run with it. And I remember thinking to myself, and Bill Hickey and I had talks talked about this. I said, you know, there's gonna come a time when um there's gonna be a really huge sale, and that's when we're gonna see whether or not they're serious about this or John's serious about this, right? And my God, boy, did that test come in the form of an RCN campaign <laughs> for Music Fest. I got the I got the the job. I was tasked with coming up with the creative that they were going to do. Um, it was going to be, I think, at the time, I believe it was close to a hundred thousand dollars of a spend in one month that they were going to spend, like two weeks prior to Music Fest, during Music Fest, something like that, right? like seven vinyls, bulletins, the big 14 by 48, and 100 posters, right? So what I came up with was basically um, just a black background. Their colors at the time were orange and black and yellow. They had That was kind of like their color scheme in white. And I just put a musician on the board on one side, no text, no copy, and then an RCN logo in the bottom right. That was it, okay? Presented it to the client. I believe you were in the room and they loved it. The marketing director absolutely said, oh my God, love it. And when it went, got to corporate, there were just some kind of corporate rules that they kind of wanted. They wanted a 1-800 phone number on. That was it. It was like, just put a 1-800 phone number on and uh, we'll sign the contract and we're good to go. And you were like, uh, oh, not so fast. Hold, hold on. 
we're not doing that. And they were like, no, no, you, yeah, just, just 1-800-RCN, ring RCN, just put it small on the bottom. It, it's good. And you're like, nope, not doing it. And I remember thinking to myself, oh my God, this is a hundred grand. It's a hundred thousand dollars in one month, right? Not an insignificant amount of money. And this went on for weeks back and forth. And you just, you just were not budging. I remember, I remember this. And I think I even, I even went to you, John, and I said, you know, John, listen, this is a huge sale. I understand, you know, we're, we're in a business where we're, this is a business. This isn't a charity. And it, you know, it's not, you know, about, you know, what, the, what's the best creative we can get up for me from, to, for my ego. I'm okay with 1-800-RING-RCN. I'll put it small. And you're like, nope, not doing it for that very reason, because then you, it would have shown that you were willing to compromise. So the fact that you were not willing to compromise and you were willing to walk away from that sale, I believe is what saved it. And ultimately it ran without 1-800-RING-RCN. It did. The, it's pretty much the same mentality. If, if I had said, okay, we'll, we'll do that. What I have communicated to the creative team what I have communicated to sales, what I have communicated to the market is that something less than the best that we can do is acceptable. And I didn't want to send that message to any of those groups. I wanted them to look at a campaign done the way it ought to be done for purely artistic purposes. And that's exactly what that campaign was. At the time, their competitor, which was Service Electric, um, had a very strong toehold on regional sports, local sports. They were known as the company, the cable company for uh, local sports. And RCN had said, we want to be the company for something and we're sponsoring music fest we want we want to own music fest and we're willing to invest to do it uh, at that point it was an easy decision not to not to let them put a phone number on because in all likelihood if we had said okay we'll put the phone number down here it'll be small They'd have said, well, we need a website or we need something else. There's all this blank space in between the musician and our logo. We need to fill that up with something. Sure they would. Yeah. And that's that was the risk. I if if you start down the slope, it's gonna get away from you. It's gonna be slippery. And that was a very slippery slope. I chose not. Uh, not to go on it because I didn't want to go there. I'll tell you what, to me, that sounds like, uh, sounds like leadership. Um, I don't know if that's what it is. I don't, what, what I knew was that what I wanted to get accomplished couldn't be done if I didn't do things the way I did them. I didn't it wasn't so much that I consciously made decisions to do things a certain way. It was more that 
I had no choice but to do things the way I did them or the outcome would have been different and we could not have gotten to where I wanted to get us to. Well, and you also laid down the gauntlet. I mean, you kind of wanted that you kind of wanted to live the best example of your of your new approach, right? So, it doesn't it wouldn't have helped anybody if, you know, you're you're willing to compromise and then telling everyone else they can't compromise. That's what I mean by like you kind of had to take the lead and, you know, it it was just um a series of, you know, unfortunate, I don't know if you will call it unfortunate, but it was an interesting convergence of, you know, your, your approach, an, an unbelievable billboard campaign. Um, and it all just kind of came together and it was almost like, okay, your call, what do we do? And you said, I know what we're doing. You never wavered. You ne- you said, we're not, we're not. I believe the quote at the time was, we are not going to let you, RCN, ruin what could potentially be the best billboard campaign this market's ever seen from a, from a, just a pure messaging standpoint. And it was, it worked. I, I, I mean, it, it, what did it end up winning a, it won like an OAAA, um, which was the outdoor advertising association of America marketing award. And right. really I, I got inspired. My, my inspiration was from the Olympics when Nike bought all the boards, I believe it was, was the, were the Olympics in LA? That Los was Angeles, yes. Los Angeles. And, and now there's actually a rule on the books that, that advertisers can't do that because they did something similar. They bought all the boards around the Coliseum and in and around LA, and they just put athletes on them and the Nike logo. That was it. So they said everything without saying a word, which is kind of what the brilliance of, of outdoor is. You right. really can get that type of message across and and not have to scream and not have to like website and phone number and directions and you know it um yeah that that was that one blew my mind to to be a part of that and really get to see how what it can mean and feel like when you hold you to your principles it just it was great to to experience that and um even though i was i was willing to kind of you know throw the web, uh, the phone number in there just to kind of get the sale. You kind of, you held fast. So, um, I want to move on to how, um, how you used to be when we would be in, when we would be in these meetings. I want to see if I want to ask you about your demeanor. I, I, one of the things that I remember is you always sat on the outside edge of the table, very rare that you were at the table, you were in the room, but you let the sales team sit around the table and you sat kind of in the back or off to the side. And one of the things that I, I still talk about this with, with coworkers of that, that were with me at the time, we, we remark about how, you know, you, you let the team speak. You would speak when someone would ask you what your opinion was, and then you would offer. And I just thought, my God, like if, if leaders could understand this very simple, approach because you were you were letting the team figure things out we were we were you know jawing it out we were talking we were you know showing things and we were you know looking at proposals and you just let it happen and i've worked at other places where that leader would have sat at the head of the table and would have controlled the whole meeting and might not have really let anybody else talk but them and here you were flipping the script on that can you talk a little bit about that and what your you know was that a conscious thing that you did or was that just kind of you know, it, unconscious yeah. thing where that you were trying to, you know, what, talk about that a little bit. It was conscious. Um, 
if I had sat at the head of the table, when there was a question that came up, everyone would have looked at me to make the decision and give the answer. And I didn't want them to look at me. I wanted them to look at you and Bill for the answer. And I couldn't allow, I couldn't, I couldn't force you to take the lead on that if I was taking the lead on it. So I had no choice but to sort of back off and let you guys run the meeting. And the meetings were better as a result of that. And they got us closer to where we really wanted to be. So um, that was, it was conscious, it was intentional, uh, mm -hmm. but it, it's kind of the same situation as if, if you take over a position from somebody else and they leave, people are normally naturally going to look to you to make, to give them answers to their questions. When those kind of occasions have occurred for me, I have tried not to give them the answer. I have tried to find out how they think and how they process in order to come up with an answer. So my, my, my normal response would be to ask them, what do you think? And if in the course of that, if I think they're off the mark, I can tweak what they're saying. And if I think they're on the mark, I can reinforce to them that they are really grasping things in a very, very good way. So it, it really was, you have to suppress your own ego a little bit. But it's not hard to do that if what you really want to accomplish involves doing that. You, you do it sort of naturally. Mm. If the objective is big enough, uh, you can put your ego aside in order to get you to that objective, that goal. Well, I remember the one thing you talked about. I learned about it from you, um, and I I used it after I learned about it and, and moved on and went into other. You know, when I when I was running the 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 media arts group. Uh, in-house advertising team, design team at the morning call, I used an approach that you taught me, which was the upside down pyramid. So can you talk about, uh, talk about that upside down pyramid and what that all means? Cause I, I just think that is just so amazing. Well, you can lead top down and get people to follow you to a point. You can lead from in the midst of them by saying, come on, let's go, we're in this together. Or you can lead by putting yourself in the position of working for the people that are doing the jobs. So I told every person that worked at that company, you don't work for me, I work for you. If you were a bill poster and you put billboards up, what I would say is, your job is to put billboards up. If you are having trouble doing that, you need to go to the operations manager because he works for you and his job is to get you the, the resources that you need to do your job. If he can't do that, his job then is to come to me because I work for him. 
that went across the board. It didn't matter whether it was the office staff or the sales staff or any of the people that worked there. I worked for all of them. My job was to help them get the things they needed to be effective in their jobs and to allow them to do their jobs efficiently and effectively. And again, it requires suppressing your own ego a little bit, uh, but it creates an, an environment that people are much happier in, much more satisfied in, which in turn reduces turnover. It gives you longer tenured employees. And as that occurs, the organization becomes more effective and more efficient because they know the job very well. They've done it for a while. And every time one of those people leaves the company and you have to hire somebody else and bring them in, you go through a, a time period where you're not as efficient or you're not as effective. And the less you can do of that, the better off you are. So it's servant leadership. It's, it is inverted pyramid. It's bottom up rather than top down. It's, you can call it a number of different things. I'm not the only person that has ever come up with this. Um, it seemed when I, when I thought about it and, and if I read about it, it seemed to make sense and it seemed to be the way the business ought to be run. So that's what I was trying to do. Well, you did it. And I can tell you this, and I can say this now because I'm, you know, now that I, I no longer, I'm now teaching um, and I, I, I'm not working for a specific company and, and no one can feel slighted by this. I can tell you that um, I worked in that environment. I saw you do it. I got to experience it. And I can tell you um, without hesitation, it was the two best years of my career. The work that you did reflected that. And that was the thing I was happiest about. I'm glad you were happy, but I'm, I'm happier that you were better as a result of it. I felt I, felt I grew the most those two years. Um, I was on a path. I was on a mission, you know, at least in kind of what I wanted to do with, with my career. And just the intersection of, of Adam's Outdoor at that time, um, the fall of 1999, when I started, you're bringing in the, you know, the creative sessions, pushing creative. It just, it just, it all just worked. And I mean, I, you know, working with Bill Hickey, phenomenally talented designer, him and I had a nice little yin yang thing where Bill was more, Bill was like, look, I just want to do good design. And I was like, well, I want to do creative sessions and I want to go to the ad club meetings and I want to be like kind of you know, like out there. And he's like, you rock on and do that. If we would have had, if him and if Bill and I would have been very similar personalities, that could have been a different up approach, right? It wouldn't have worked. <laughs> yeah. You needed both. You were an exceptional designer. He was an exceptional designer. Your designs didn't look similar or identical. They looked very different because you both brought your own perspective to the problem that the customer had. If, uh, if you two had been more similar, you wouldn't, or nobody would have been able 
to take the lead in one area without the other guy feeling threatened or right. stepped on. Right. The way it worked out, you took the lead in the areas you were most interested in. He took the lead in the areas he was most interested in, and you played off each other very well. And by the way, we were also very fortunate to have a very good team of people. And I'm not talking just about sales or creative, although both of those were, they were really, really solid teams, but our operations people, our staff, Mm -hmm. our accounting people, everybody in that organization uh, was good. And it was partly dumb luck uh, in hiring because you can't bat a thousand when you're doing that. And we were pretty close to batting a thousand. So we just, we assembled a very, very, very strong team of people. I, I agree. I mean, I, and I, and I've always was very adamant. I don't know where people always thought that I was, I was, I, I, I do see sales and creative, you know, they have to work together. You need both. I don't think one is more important than the other, but you, you need them both. And if they're talking to each other and there's respect there, you open up a whole other realm of, which is what I think you did by, by putting, by elevating creativity up to the same level as sales. That's, kind of the brilliance of what I what I thought you did. And then and then basically created the playground for all of us to to kind of roam around in. I mean, Bill Hickey, I think, was a better, way better designer than I was, but I learned a lot from him. And conversely, he said to me, he said, you know, Bill, he said, prior to you starting, I was kind of getting just a little, I was in the business for nine years. I was a little burned out. He said, what you did for me, you came in and were so He's talking about me. I was so, you know, infectious and so excited and passionate about this new medium that I was getting my, it reignited his passion. So that's, that's where you got lucky or Adams got lucky in the sense that we, we both positively charged each other, each other up. I was in awe of his talent. He was like, why is this guy so excited about billboards? Maybe I need to get more excited again about billboards. And it was like the, it just, it just worked. And to your point about, you know, while he was um, clearly could run a creative session, I was more comfortable kind of doing that show stuff, you know, gathering that material. And he was more than happy to say, go do it. I don't care. It just worked. It just worked. And, you know, it's funny. Ego has come up a couple times already. And I think I think ego is what is what is just it trips up so many managers it trips up a lot of creative people because there's a lot of create a lot of ego in in this on this side of the fence, you know, on creativity. And when you can push that down and serve the idea or uh, be more interested in seeing the people that you're working with grow than your own self grow, you know, that's 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 the promised land. It's almost like um, again, it's 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 servanthood, it's leadership, serve you know, servant leadership. I think when you can do that, when you can really be truly invested in your team to the point that you 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 just want to see them succeed in the worst way and you're the one providing that opportunity right yes uh, i think i think you're right that ego is a um, a major cause of that i think there's two the other one is insecurity mm. and i think in many cases managers 
tend to become insecure when things aren't going as well as, as they had hoped they would. And the insecurity manifests itself in them asserting themselves more into the processes that they're supposed to be overseeing and not doing. If you can shed the insecurity and trust the organization, the organization will grow to meet and exceed your expectations. If you allow the insecurity to take over, you begin, you begin to limit how far that organization can, can grow and how many, how much it can blossom. Ego yeah. and insecurity to me are the two biggest drawbacks that corporate America has to address and generally isn't doing a great job of addressing. I don't know who told me this. You might have mentioned it to me one day. You might have, I think you might have said, uh, listen, you want to shine a spotlight on yourself, shine it on others. Yeah. That's how, you, that's how you do it. And that seems like a simple concept until you add ego and insecurity. And then it becomes, oh, no, no, I don't need the spotlight. Shine it this way. Right. And it it just doesn't work. So I I am grateful not only for having experienced what I got to experience working with you doing some of the best work of my career, um, award-winning work, um, getting such a kick out of seeing my designs as around the valley as I would drive around. The market was completely tuned up. It looked like an art gallery. Like even the public surface service stuff, you said, we're going to elevate that. So we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna educate the clients. And you did. It, 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 was, it was just amazing to be a part of. And um, I feel like I... I knew I was having a good time when I was there because everything was like all the cylinders were firing in the right in the right order. But I didn't realize how good I had it until after I left. Until after I was able to look in the rearview mirror at what I got to experience, where a lot of those uh, did did a lot of the experiences kind of come into full focus. And um, yeah, so that was kind of like that was that was an interesting interesting experience as well. Well, I know. After you left, uh, you went on and uh, in time with advertising agencies and in time with other media that you had worked for, uh, you were able to imprint those organizations with some of the things that you had done and become very good at in those couple of years that we worked together. Uh, so in many ways, um, your presence has been felt across a whole broad uh, advertising community and through things like the Ad Club, which you're gonna put an imprint on just by virtue of you being there. That changes the entire ad community and, and that's credit to you, not to me. Hmm, I appreciate that. I remember the one thing you told me when I was leaving, you said, you know, Bill, I can hire another designer. They're out there, right? I can get another billboard designer. You said, but what I really am going to miss is what you did in between your designs, which is your excitement when you would go down and you would, instead of me just putting a design, you know, face down on someone's desk, 
you wanted that FaceTime with that with that rep. You wanted to to talk to them about why you did what you did, why you think this is a good idea, why you think it's going to work. That's going to be hard to replace. And I never forgot that. I, I always thought like, wow, that's really cool. I know one of the things that I tasked you with fairly early on was teaching the salespeople how to sell great creative, uh, how to present a great idea. Um, and I think about some of the ads that, um, in this case, one that comes to mind that we didn't do, but we did display on our boards. Mm -hmm. uh, Dunkin' Donuts did an ad when they were coming out with bagels. Mm -hmm. And the message was, it's round, it has a hole. Yeah, we can do that. <laughs> yeah, right. I remember that. Yeah. The beauty of that, I, I could imagine the ad agency <laughs> taking the artwork and going to meet with the marketing VP of Dunkin' Donuts. And I could almost verbatim tell you how that process of presenting the artwork went. And you were able to, to take that process, communicate it on particular pieces of artwork that our salespeople were going to have to take out and get customers to embrace. In many cases, you went with them to help them with the presentation of the creative product. That really did wonders for elevating the creative in the market because you could you could prevent them from doing the things them meaning customers from mm -hmm. doing the things that they might have done inadvertently that would have made the boards or the designs less effective uh, you were able to help the salespeople get to a point where they didn't just say yeah we'll do that they would say no Here's why that won't work. It's a wonderful thing when you reach the point where the entire sales team is responding like creative people. Yes. We, that we approached that point with you and and Bill leading the way. Absolutely. I, I, I love the whole process. And I remember the one time you said to me, you said, Bill, um, I'm going to take a little bit of time at the creative session uh, next week or whenever, whatever time you need to come up with something. But your, your, your task to me was just come up with something great. I'm like, okay, what do you mean? Just make it great. Whatever it is, just make it great. And, and I was like, okay. Yeah, I'm like, what, what's this for? And you're like, I'm going to teach the sales team how to sell a tough concept. So make sure it's really great. And I was driving with Bill Hickey. We were coming back from lunch. We were on 22. And I said, Bill, do you have a pen in here or something? Because I just had something come to mind and I need to remember to write this down. I think this might have been before cell phones. Um, and I don't think flip phones were real good with texting. So it was a, it was a, I, an ad for Dunkin Donuts and I, it was serial killer. And it had a, it was a, again, a black background, um, white lettering that looked kind of like almost like ransom lettering. And it had a bagel in the corner. And the idea was that um, no one's eating cereal anymore. And this little round thing of dough with a hole in it is, is taking cereal and, and it's killing cereal. 
So I remember doing the design. I did it in a 14 by 48. I brought it into your office and I showed it to you and you just had this big smile. You just like had this like joker smile that went up on your face and you said, that'll do. And uh, I remember you did the, you, you told everyone in the team, in the, in the room that they were uh, Dunkin' Donuts franchisees owners and you were from corporate and you were presenting the new campaign, but it was really cool the way you did it. And, and I've presented creative like this ever since that day is you cannot just turn it over and say, what do you think? You have to step them through the process of why you did what you did, you know? And the one thing that I, I've, I've used, oh my God, countless times is you told all, everyone in the room, you're going to be uncomfortable when you see this. That's a normal reaction. It's okay. And you, that disarms clients. I've used that when I presented logos. Anything that is new, I would say you're going to be uncomfortable with this. That's okay. I've been living with it. When, you, when I turn it over, don't feel like you need to have an immediate reaction. Let it sink in. Marinate with it. And John, I got to tell you, it works. People appreciate that. As long as you're coming from a place of authenticity. It can't, you can't, you can't fake that. You gotta, right? It, it has to be, you know, this is why, this is the reasoning. This is what, why this font, this is why the, the phone number's not there, why the website's not there. And I learned that from you and I've used that. And I wish I knew I could calculate the number of sales that I've made off of that. I remember when I had to present um, Service Electric, their new two sports logo. Now I know sometimes agencies, you know, they'll do the dog and pony. They'll bring a client in. There might be 50 logos on the board. You know how many I presented? One. I had it face down. They sat down. I talked to them about, well, actually, I repeated to them what they told me. Because it's kind of like a, you know, get prime the pump a little bit with them kind of saying, yep, yep, we did say that. Yes. You're kind of conditioning them to say yes. And then um, I turn it over, and it's exactly what I said it would be. And they're like, we love it done. And I was like, that's an Adams approach right there. That's a John Hayes Adams approach. And then they said to me, can you do another logo for us? I was like, yeah, what do you need? They're like, we need one for sports scene. I said, come back in two weeks. I had one logo. I presented the one logo, talked to them, turned it over. They're like, yep, we're done here. Done. That's how you do it. And I've seen it go the other way too, where someone would have, you know, 15, 16 logos clients, they get overwhelmed. They like one thing from that, one thing from that, one thing from that. Can you make this change? And now you're into like all these rounds of revisions. It's just crazy. When it's done properly, it's a beautiful thing. And I, and I just think that that was uh, the serial killer. I mean, you can talk to that about how you, you know, what happened after that, that had a whole little backstory on its own after that got presented in the room. But do you remember that? Um, I'm not sure I do, but they all wanted to run it. They all wanted to run it, but no one, no Dunkin' Donuts around here would touch something with the word killer on it. But they all, right. they all were like, that's amazing. We want to do that. So what the backstory was, it it went out to, it went into the art bank and it got picked up in a market, I think in, uh, in Michigan. And it, they took the Dunkin' Donuts logo off. They put a morning fresh bakery logo on and it went up serial killer. And then it and then it did well in that market. And then it it won it went all the way to nat the national addies, yeah, and yes. came up came up short, but it was a national addy. And Karen Gumakis did actually take that design to Arnold worldwide up in Boston, who had the account, showed it to the account guy, and said, 
yeah, that's amazing, but we can't run it. And she was like, why? And he just said, because we didn't think of it. <laughs> well, that was like, oh, oh, okay. But it was like a tip of the cap from somebody at Arnold saying, yeah, that's that's really good. That's that's awesome. Serial killer. But and there is ego and insecurity. <laughs> <laughs> right? Right? All he would have had to say was, okay, well, what uh, what would we have to do in order to run? Ru You're 100% right. That's it right there. Yeah. So, John, I, I just think that um, I was glad that I got, I was thrilled that I got to to work with, you know, you and the team and everybody there. And I'm still friends with uh, many of them. Um, but I, but I took everything that you taught me, tried to teach me and did teach me. And I, I ran it and I gave those, I gave, I got to give that experience that I had with you to other teams that I worked with. And at some places it was welcomed and some, it was kind of like, no, that's not how we do things. So, but I always knew that um, if I'm at the bottom of that pyramid and I'm leading a team, that's always going to keep me in the right, in the right mindset, you know, right. that upside down pyramid with me at the bottom, supporting everybody else, uh, um, as opposed to me sitting at the top with everyone else, you know, so it just never felt right. And watching you do it day in and day out, um, it really was it was really remarkable and spectacular to 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 witness and be a part of and and i think you you can can know in your heart that you you did right by a lot of people because those people still reach out to you for advice they still right they still talk to you i mean i'm one of them you know i get jammed up at a company you're my first call of who i'm talking to going i got a problem what do you think about this um so i just think it was really did you get any pushback from anybody, by the way, when you did you have to like kind of get permission from from Adam's corporate to, to do this? Or was this just you? I'm doing this. I'm going to give this a shot when you started the whole putting creativity on a pedestal. Um, I didn't ask. No? I thought if I asked for permission to do it, there was at least a reasonable chance that I would get a no that I that I what I would get was no we need to keep this needs to be a sales driven company not a creative driven company in my way of thinking about it sales became the byproduct as a result of having great creative and I, I much prefer you don't have to work as hard you don't have to bang heads with people to make sales when they're aspiring to do business with you because they aspire to be a part of the kind to see what you would come up with for them from a creative standpoint. We went as an organization from having advertisers that we aspired to do business with and, and many of them looked down on outdoor advertising and thought that's not the kind of thing that I want to do. Major healthcare companies, for example, over a period of time, we were able to flip that to a point where those companies aspired to do business with us because they wanted to see the creative product that we could put uh, in front of them and in front of the community on their behalf. And, that's exactly where the power of this whole thing lies. It, it lies in changing 
who's aspiring to do business with whom. Mm. I can remember the one time our first interview, or when you first interviewed me, I had asked you after I had been hired, I said, because um, I thought I was being cool. I thought I was like uh, sitting in the chair and you, listening to you talk about what you're going to try to do. And I said, how did I do? Was I good? And and because uh, I thought I was like, I just thought I was like not giving you anything. I was just taking it all in, being cool as a cucumber. And you were like, I think if I would have kept talking, you would have exploded at some point. And I was, <laughs> I was like, really? Because I thought I was doing so good to like kind of just be like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you were like, no. You were you were you were like literally going to explode out of that chair um, because I I just wanted the chance to do that and to 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 do outdoor you know to to take something that's just pure messaging you have no audio you have no moving pictures um, it's purely concept driven and I I'll share something with you I don't know if you know this but I my first day at Adams um, there was a creative session. I sat around the table and I came home that night and I thought to myself, I can't do this. I can't work there because every single person in that room around that table had a thought or an idea or a headline about the client that we were talking about. And I had nothing in my mind. I'm just sitting there. I didn't now. No one was expecting me to have anything, but I didn't have anything that I could offer. And I thought, how am I going to compete with that? Right? Like, how am I going to run that? And I was very uncomfortable with the prospect, but um, I soldiered up and went in the next day. And this is where I give Bill Hickey a lot of credit because he really worked with me on, on taking a, uh, you know, just working with words and, and where to start when you, when you start writing a headline or how to think about it. And, Ultimately, I was able to do it, but boy, that first day really threw me for a loop. You know, when doctors go to medical school, they, they obviously learn how to treat patients, but in addition, they learn how to behave like doctors. A better example is attorneys go to law school and they learn case law and they learn processes and they learn all of that but more than that they learn how to think like lawyers and some would say that's a good thing some would say maybe not but they there is a way of thinking there's a way of processing information if if you as a creative person want to be a graduate student in creative, mm -hmm. you have to learn how to think in order to be able to come up with good creative work. I think you and Bill working together were able to do that. You did it more quickly than I would have expected, but you guys retrained yourselves in how to think and then in how to execute in order to take what you're thinking and transfer it to a graphic design. That that was the beauty of what you guys did. Yeah, well, and the beauty of the reason we were able to do that is because we had an environment that said, do it, do it. And this, 
This is what I get the most angry about, John, is, again, these these leaders that are out there that are just, they feel they have to have all the answers. They don't let other people talk. They're leading from fear and insecurity. And, you know, they wonder why they lose people, why there's quiet quitting, you know, the great resignation. And all it has to do with is stop trying to control everything, you know, be the leader that says, hey, an interesting concept. I don't know a lot about that. Can you can you educate me on that? Just can't do it. They can't if, do it. If you as the leader want to be the smartest guy in the room, in every room, you're going to fail dismally. Um, you can't be the smartest guy on every topic that's out there. It's easier if you just say, I don't know, what do you think? You learn things, and more importantly, the people that you challenge that way learn things. Yes. And the whole organization grows. That's giving someone the autonomy. Oh, and the other thing I want to bring up is that you did as well, is you gave us permission to fail responsibly. That's another thing that that you you talked about openly. You're like, don't be afraid to fail. Don't be afraid to fail. And that is hugely freeing. And and opens up all kinds of possibilities. Really, that that's almost like you know doctorate level leadership to me is when you start talking about employees giving them the permission to fail. That's that's a whole other that's a master class level, right? Um, you know, I'm, I'm talking about a level that I think most people should be able to grasp of just like you know leading with less fear and insecure or ego and insecurity. But um, you did that as well. You you told us, you know, if we're not failing from time to time, we're not doing enough. We're not we're not we're not trying enough. We're not we're not, we're not pushing the outer limits of the envelope far enough. Right. And I'll tell you what you it got to a point that environment got to such a point that the 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 ideas were just they were just in the air. You just had to pull them down, and there was no fear that anybody had to to say it out loud. Because that's where I learned, and I learned it also, too, from Dan Ross, is that um, sometimes you can get a good idea on the way back from a bad one. So don't ever, and see, that's another thing that you 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 gave that it, us permission to do, is don't sit on something, say it. Just say it. John, I did things in those creative sessions that at other companies, I probably would have been written up for, or at least talked very strongly about. Um, don't do that next week. Do you do you remember some of that stuff? I mean, I had candles in there. We were reading poetry. I, I, brought, I mean, I mean, I was just trying things because you gave me the permission to do that. Um, you know, it just that it's so freeing, and I just uh, I I really wish people, uh, creatives especially, could have an experience like this um, at least once in their life. I'm glad that I got it for two years. Would I have liked it to be more? Sure. Would I have liked it to be at all the other companies that I went to? Yeah, a hundred sure. But it just it wasn't because I think you um you set up something pretty special. And I'm just grateful that I got to be even there for the two years that I was there because it set me up for the rest of my career. It really has. It's it shaped me. I I'm obviously I'm still um affected by it because I still talk about it. And even when I did leave, I left Adams to go to work with Dan Ross at RM Squared. That's the agency that I went to work for. And it was nice to see because you and him had worked at Adams. So there was a continuation there. 
So then when I got over there, Dan was like, hey, that's a good idea, but let's make it great. And I was like, ooh, I like this. So he was he was willing to let the team at, at, at RM Squared push good ideas to the next level. So it was kind of like a little bit of a continuation of um of working at Adams. So that was that was kind of cool. And I and I I definitely used what I what I learned over there at Adams at RM Squared. Well, I'm happy and I'm gratified that you feel that way about the uh, the two years and that it had that impact on you. Um, I could say, um, you know, you took more than you gave, but you didn't. Um, that was the beauty of it was you may have felt like you were getting more than you were giving, but I can tell you that the uh, salespeople felt like they were getting more from you than you were being given. And if everybody feels that way, that's pretty good, pretty good karma all the way around. Yeah, that was a, that was a hard decision to leave. But at the time, um, I kind of wanted to take everything that I had learned and I wanted to see if I could implant it at an agency and help that agency grow. And huh. really that's, that's really what, 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 why I left Adams. There was no other reason other than to see, could I take all this knowledge and information, implant it into another company with an, with another owner, Dan Ross, and see if we can, we can grow it. And that was the challenge that, because I was still being challenged at Adams, but I, I wanted to get around more. I wanted to get around television and radio and, and, and print at, you know, because I had the print experience from the morning call and um, yeah, I was able to do that. Mm-hmm. And do it well. We're at such a time right now in 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 the corporate world, and um, you, you know, with, with leadership, it's you know, it's it's tough. It's it's simple, but yet it's complicated because if you don't understand some of these simple things to do, you're you're never going to understand them. I think the worst type of leader is the one who doesn't know what they don't know. Mm-hmm. Would you agree? Yes, absolutely. It's if you uh, if you know what you don't know, you you will always be on a mission to improve in that area, and that is automatically going to make you better. So, yeah, I do agree with you. Well, John, I think um, we're about to wrap this up. I want to um, I want to thank you, and I thank you. I mean, you have been you you have been quite the inspiration for me, my friend, and countless other people that that um, worked with you. Um, you left your imp- imprint and impact on them. Um, and I think uh, if I write a second book, it's probably going to be about this experience working with <laughs> well, you. I hope you, two years. I hope you do. Thank you, my friend, and be well. Okay. Thank you. You too. All right. All right, Ad Yakers. Hope you enjoyed it. Because we have many more great conversations planned and guests lined up ready to yak it up. Adyak is sponsored and produced by ASR Media. Theme song was written and performed by Dan Ross. Location recording was at JT Norman's Design Studio. Adyak is the official podcast of the AAF Greater Lehigh Valley Ad Club. Stay hungry, stay humble. Till next time. This episode of Adyak is rated O for, oh man, that was good. <laughs>